will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome to another episode of Leverage Addicts. And today we have a very special guest, Cameron Stewart, one of New Zealand's top property traders, over 300 transactions in his resume our proud father and he is a very experienced investor and uh, we love him so much he came and spoke at our company event a couple weeks ago and uh, everybody really enjoyed it so we've got him back here today to talk property and mortgages and life and welcome thanks man now good to good to be here it's always good to uh share the knowledge that's been um obtained over a 15-year career and if it can add value to someone else it's uh it's always a good thing isn't it well i feel like you've crammed 50 to 100 years of property knowledge into the last 15 years and the thing I admire about you Cameron is you're not afraid to take action whether you know the whole journey of what you're undertaking or not you you learn enough to take the next step and you take the next step and I feel like what a lot of people especially in the property investing game get into the habit of is is over researching over analyzing talking themselves out of good deals because of uh, finding a good reason not to do something Whereas you find good enough, from my point of view, good enough reasons to do something, understand the risks, but in most cases, push forward. Yeah, well, you've got to have a go. I mean, at the end of the day, they don't always work out the way you want them to work out. But, you know, the best way that you learn is by doing. You know, a lot of theory-based education is, you know, like books and, and podcasts and all these things are great. But unless we go and apply it to something, you don't actually really learn. Mm process i mean that's how i learn is through doing yeah and so some people have a different learning style but for me it's like i have to do to learn so i have to fail yeah forward i have to fail and make mistakes to actually learn the skills that are required to progress where some people just are real petrified of making the mistakes well the reality is if you want to succeed in anything you've got to make the mistakes yeah yeah so trying to get through as much as we can today uh going back to some of your stories from the other day uh, you you had a colourful few years as a teenager growing up through school and ended up shifting to Aussie, a couple of different jobs there. And during that time, you saved up your money, you took your uncle's advice, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, bought some properties in Invercargill when you were young, early 20s. And then you had an injury and that kind of set you on a path of reevaluating how one, you're going to spend your life and two, how you're going to make money. And that kind of led you to some books and then some some mentors. Why don't you tell us about that stage? When I came to, I was working my own business as a livestock agent. I mean, I was forced into that actually because of when I had my injury in 2006. When I came back to New Zealand in 2007, I couldn't get a job. So I was kind of forced into self-employed business. So I was doing the livestock agent thing in the king country, which was really the training ground for going into- Sales negotiation. Yeah, because it was just brutal, like pulling up people's driveways. Hey man, I'm the Cameron Stewart, I'm the new agent in there. You know, we're in a salmon pink elders top. It was quite embarrassing to be honest with you, but I, I think that was like part of the pathway that set me up for when I came to Auckland, when I did Sean Wood's property, tutors course in 2009 I I kind of probably had a lot more mental resilience than a lot of the other guys that did that course because of what I'd just come from it was quite a good transition well you've come through an injury you come through an upbringing where you got to just make your own wins it's not given to you and then you've spent money to be in this course and 
you want to learn from the guy that has already been having success and the way you told the story i was quite you know, had to chuckle is you really made sure you got your money's worth from that paid mentorship to make sure that you got a lot of one-on-one time and asked the most questions and yeah i hounded them a lot of other people it's like when i paid this guy twenty-five thousand plus dst you know there was a lot of money in 2009 when you think about it i mean that's probably equivalent to 50 grand today especially at the you know, time of gfc yeah it was a lot of money and so i thought bugger it i'm paying this guy this money i'm going to get my money's worth and so that that was kind of honestly it's not rocket science it's like all you do in life all i've done is gone and found people who are better than me and just copy what they did yeah i'm the same before i got into a position to start this business and i eventually no, i started with a blank sheet of paper and i started researching certain industries i, I paid it was about six thousand us to do an online course it was a lot of money for me it forces you to commit yourself because you realize well i've just been a big chunk of the only money i have i've told my parents and my friends and my family what i'm up to and if i don't follow through then i am a failure you know so it's good sometimes to jump deep (laughs) it was something heavy and 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 swim right and you sort of wonder why how you did it sometimes along the way it's like man why did i put myself under so much pressure like what why am i doing this but you know if you look at all of the ups and downs there's more ups and downs but sometimes when you're in the downs it's like yeah you can't see over the top of the rise so that kind of got you on the journey how many trades or property deals had you done before you did the sean woods None. i bought three houses in invercargan I, I can't remember exactly if i had bought the other two i ended up having five i have a feeling i may have had five properties in invercargan at that time that i bought just as residential investments but i didn't know what the hell i was doing i was just kind of just yeah i mean you you bought where you knew what? you're from invercargan you bought I just around that area and to be fair those houses didn't go up significantly in value through the time of holding them but you know they might have gone up 50 grand a pop what was the cash flow like you were getting like nine percent you know gross yields and you know so you're getting you know 250 280 bucks a week and you're buying these houses for 150,000 type of thing yeah but those houses today you know they're worth 450,000 yeah it's all all relevant eh? you know you did this uh this course and you got on this property trading journey you know what 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 was this trigger that you did your first deal or first 10 deals explain to us why you decided look I'm not going to buy a sixth property and hold it. I'm going to trade lots of properties to make money from property investing. Well, I never planned on being a property trader. I actually just wanted to learn how to invest and create a passive income so that I could go and live my life. I mean, I was naive. I was in my you know early 20s and I thought that I was just going to go and build a portfolio and go and drink pina coladas or drink beers on the beach somewhere. I, th- I didn't expect that I, it was a different mentality. I, I suppose what happened was I, the first property trade I did, which was 91 Great South Road in Manurewa, I remember it clearly, it's this old villa. I made 50 or 60 grand in the first deal. And what was the time frame for that roughly? It was like eight weeks. It's like cocaine, right? Yeah, so it feels good. Yeah, it was just like- Big win. It was like, man, I like just did like, I mean, it was hard work because you're ripping it apart and doing that, but it was like, that was a lot of money. 50 grand was a lot of money in 2009. Yeah, tax-free. Yeah, it was a, that was a lot of money. And I, I'm thinking to myself like this is i'm gonna get rich did you have to pay tax on that first one yeah i had to set it all up in a company i when i started with the course i got set all, all got set up with an accountancy firm and they set up all the structure so i was you know claim the gst pay the gst yeah, fair enough fair so enough. from day one i was set up for that structure and then i had a my hold company so i had my yeah. hold entity and i had a trading entity so i did have all of that but it was still a lot of money man i was, it was probably net 35 grand or something so you probably figured all right just did this one across two months 
I can do six a year easily. How can I do 10? How can I do 20? And then you just... Or just escalate it. Because once you start the process of it, and this has been my biggest issue over the over my career, like I've gone and said, oh, I'll take a little bit of a break. And then I, I start doing it. When you start doing it, it's just a process of deals come. So if you're going to do one, you might as well do 20. If you're going to do 20, you might as well do 30. If you're going to do 30... You start building a team around you and you, you hit the, the next scale of having help. And I guess what you're good at is finding the deal. That's exactly, I, I would just like the hunt. So tell us, the hunt involves relationships with lots of real estate agents, I'm guessing. You've built a lot of relationships. Some of them are purely professional, but I'm sure a lot of them are quite, uh, there's good uh, rapport and friendship with some of these agents. How many agents have you have you worked with over the years on more than one transaction? 25 Yeah. plus you basically got this deep reservoir of people that help you achieve wealth and you only ever have to engage with them or pay them on success, right? Yeah. So you basically got like 25 people on commission working for you. Effectively, they just become like, you know, a lot of those guys who I started, you know, they were selling relatively new to real estate as I was. You know, I've watched so many of them, you know, like like Adam Thompson, for example, when I met Adam, who owns Ray White Manukau, he was just an agent doing a thing. Now he's got one of the biggest Ray White offices in Auckland. I mean, I've watched that guy rise from where he was to where he is now. So a lot of the guys that I was working with, it's been awesome because you see people, their career lift as your career's lifted it's been cool to, to watch the progression because we we're all young so how does that that conversation start so it's you pick up the phone you call an agent you say i'm looking for a certain property or certain type of properties or you say hey i seen you've listed this property can we have a chat about it i took a different sort of approach i always kind of just caught up with people and had a coffee i was never everyone i wasn't always everyone's cup of tea you know because with these personality clashes to every person like some of us get on with different personas and so on so my my thing was always going to try and find an, an agent that i could be friends with and there's only you only need a few key suburbs or key areas that yeah and then so built the relationship with those guys built a friendship and then you know had a few beers or whatever and kind of you know one thing led to another over a period of time but some of those guys like I had a friendship with for like two years before I even bought one deal and I think that's probably a key thing too a lot of the younger guys coming into the game it's like they sort of rip shit and bust it's like they just want to get in and do a deal and they don't really give a stuff who they sort of affect in the process like they go out you know lowballing the crap out of offers and they just annoy people time wasting what the agent just deems it as time wasting and they yeah, don't especially with this uneducated offers so wrong clauses or yeah, huge due de- uh, DD periods and all of that sort of stuff that goes with it which just really sort of rubs people up the wrong way yeah well what I've deemed over our conversations is one of your key strategies is one you are prepared to have very short due diligence periods and to go unconditional quickly which works in the favor of the agent and the vendor and the way that you're able to do that is you've built up your equity pocket yeah and your knowledge that you're able to quickly assess whether a deal's worth doing and the whole outcome of all of that is you're able to buy properties at the price that's right for you you know well, if a, it's a deal's a deal, so if a deal's a deal, it doesn't matter. Like if I'm going to buy it or someone else is going to buy it, I, I just need to secure it. So if it went to market as a, a public listing instead of pre-market, or if it's been on the market for a week, but you're able to buy it today or you know in a couple of days, that property might sell for 50, 100, or even two or 300 grand more 
but what the vendor in that that time is looking for a quick cash deal and that's yeah there's always a willing seller and there's always a willing buyer people get all sort of cut up and worked up about you know you're doing the wrong thing but like i mean i've gone and bought houses like the guy you know there's been a guy for example that needed to move to like germany the next day yeah sure so so it's like crazy things like that the agent called you and said hey i've got this one that needs to sell today it needs to sell today it needs to go unconditional today he's had a serious family situation arise he's leaving new zealand and he's not coming back he's selling the house with everything in it he wants a cash unconditional offer today and i just went in and, and, and bought the house and it was ridiculously cheap it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars below market value so when you frame the context of that it's like would you build relationships with agents and do coffees and have beers and on the premise that hopefully somebody's going to call you with a deal like that and not only are they going to call you you actually have to be ready on the day to to, to close right yeah, you've got to be there to do the deal. If, you know, if people stop. I mean, I ha- like right now at this point in time, like at this phase of my career, like I haven't been like super, super aggressive in the market. And so the phone stopped ringing. But as soon as I stop, like as I start, you know, activating more, my phone rings again. So how many agents would you call if you wanted to do 10 deals in the next three months? I just consistently ring five or six agents a day, every day. And that's just what I do. And I do that anyway. I've always kind of kept that relationship. It might just be two or three minute calls. It might be half an hour, I'm guessing. Yeah, sometimes I might put a post up on Instagram or whatever and someone might view it and I'll be, and it'll remind me about them. So I'll, I'll ring them. Or if I'm driving along the motorway, one of the, an agent comes in my mind and ring them. Um, and that's just kind of what I've always just done. I do that with friends too, by the way. I think it's an important thing to do, you know, to keep in touch with people, you know. So navigating these market conditions, what have you done in the past considering no fast changes in markets and like what are you doing now well i've been super conservative of late but and it's probably you know like there's other people in the market that are at an earlier stage of their career that have probably been more aggressive at this point but i don't want to lose any more money you know so i've lost some i lost some money last year which is fine and that's part of the game well you, you said you'd done 330 deals you lost money on 11 or so 11 and four of them were last year and so i thought i was pretty good change of market change of market massive increase in material costs and stable finance some non-bank lending yeah just all pretty painful and that we're sort of really not out of the woods yet so i kind of so for context for for some people that haven't done that have the insight on the finance side of things for property trading or flipping generally speaking banks don't want to do property trade deals because the banks make money when they finance properties over a long period of time and they have lower rates so they make less and they don't really have fees attached for it so if you told a bank you wanted to buy a property and sell it in three months generally speaking and they're not going to be very, very interested. So what that means is property traders, flippers, professional investors, they often have to use non-bank lenders or second, third tier finance. Especially when you've done as many deals as, as you have, it's very hard to hide the fact what you're doing. So finance comes at a from a different place. Yeah, well, I've done a lot of joint venture stuff. So I've had a lot of, how I've done a lot of deals and volume was through having partners come in and fund the deals with cash. Are they 50-50 deals? 50-50, yeah. So they, I've, I've, that's how I've done a lot of volume. But I've also done a lot of the, when I started, the banks funded a lot of it, you know, like you could get bank funding and then around 2017-ish 
they started getting real, you know, they really started hating on property speculators, like, you know, traders and stuff. And it just be- it started becoming really difficult. So I just transitioned my whole model from my own personal trades, you know, to just all joint venture in, in developing a consultation type income. And so that, but the second tier lenders, like the base corps and these types of guys, I mean, we've had a great relationship with those guys. Well, those lenders have specifically set up to help property investors for flipping, trading, you know, that's that's the deals they want to do. Yeah. They, they charge fees, application fees, refinance fees, charge slightly higher interest rates. You know, that's that's what they want. Oh, and they're great. And, they're, and they're, you know, look, I've got a great relationship with Craig at Base Corp and, and that, that, you know, he'll just fund them. Yeah. Like he'll be like, oh, Cam's doing that deal and he'll, he'll look over it and he'll go, oh, yeah, I'll fund that deal because he knows we execute. Yeah, so there's like a little business plan on the on the deal basically when you submit it or they green light it based on, based on that. Yeah, well, I have a spreadsheet. So every deal that I have, so when I'm doing my DD and stuff, I go I go through and I look at all, you know, go through and do a full costing schedule. I've got a whole spreadsheet, shows the profit and loss, you know, all, all of the, all of the different things on there so it's pretty easy to realize and, and but even with all of that and you know like last year we had those losses and I I mean I consider myself to be pretty good at what I do and I had some losses so I mean I think for the people that are listening to this it's, it's important to take action but it's important to take educated action do you understand the market that you're working in well and that and that's what you've you've updated your your mindset around doing deals that have big margins right yeah. there's no point in doing a hundred deals that have ten thousand dollar profit margins especially to do 20 deals that have 50 or 100,000 margin, right? Or well, even that, more. Look, honestly, though, too, like it really depends, Andrew, on like, I know guys in the market that are doing massive volume like huge ridiculous volume but tiny margin but it just depends on how hard you want to work yeah and the thing is way too hard they might have a big team that's doing a lot of the grunty work and it's more like a streamline just production line of of renovation basically yeah but i guess they're pinching pennies on every single little thing because of the margins being so much smaller well even those deals that i lost money on last year they were big margin deals and i still lost money so the guys that were running off small margin would have got a beating yeah, 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 and they did. I, you know, I heard of all sorts of stories out there. So let's let's talk about some of the notable deals and projects that that you're proud of and and what you've learned from them, and then we can go into some risks or challenges you're looking at. Oh God, you must have some deals you're proud of that you're not um, worried about. Shit. To be honest, I've been some of the the proudest the deals that I've executed are the ones that went the, the most pear shaped. <laughs> you know, like I had did a deal with friends of mine in you know Tarawera Terrace. 48 and it was a big reclad massive reclad and I did I had four or five big reclad projects on at this moment in time and my builder ran off and ripped me off you know about a million bucks over those projects and left me in a world of strife and we managed to go through and actually complete these projects and rectify them and sell them yeah didn't lose money sure the market helped there yeah the the market helped a little bit luckily it didn't drop but the the point that these things went completely pear-shaped they had there was no paperwork trail um, and so those projects, you know, it was um, 112 Taylor Road and Blockhouse Bay or Taylor Street and Blockhouse Bay, 48B Tarawera Terrace and St. Heliers, 15 Wait Avenue and Mount Roskill. And there was one more, might have been Ada, which we've just only just rectified, you know, a few months ago. They're just really major problematic projects. And once you go and finish jobs like that, you can you can pretty much finish anything. Yeah. 
I suppose what it's, it's you're talking millions, you know, over those four projects, you're talking, you know, four or five million dollars in renovation costs. Yeah. This is not small over a long period of time as well, is it? Yeah, over 12, 18, 24 months. So Yeah, and and I think a lot of people that are hesitant to talk in a positive way about property trading, you know, maybe some people that feel like property investing or property trading is is quite capitalist that it's not fair to like maybe everybody should own a home and nobody should own two. Those kind of political people is to say no property traders don't add value they just speculate they make money off other people and when you step back and what you really see is what property traders are doing is adding value to the market because they're helping people get away from the problems they don't want and so in this some of the scenarios people don't want to do a $500,000 renovation they want to sell the property and somebody else to do it and people some people need to sell urgently some people need to sell because of divorce or they can't keep up with their debts and so what property traders are doing is giving those people the ability to exit away from their problems but in return you will make money because you're creating value for the market it's not like yeah like people sort of think that you're going and you, look you might get a really good one every now and then and you make a you know really good you know profit on but you know most of the time you know the margins are you know they're pretty modest really we the time you take your gst and your tax and everything out so and your, your time and your your expertise and your time and expertise i mean it's um I, i've never gone and you know on all of the trade deals i've done i've never gone and made any margin on the on any of the renovation or any of those things i've just it's been solely on, on a, in a joint venture situation on the profit and so you know when you have losses you lose money plus you lose all the time that you've put into the project now it doesn't mean that they're you know like I said 11 deals out of 330 odd it's not a bad loss rate but you know there's been plenty of those deals over the years that have been small margin where you might have made five grand two grand <laughs> you know like six grand profit share yeah and it's just like a complete waste of time yeah and you take the lessons and hopefully you update your your investment criteria for for the next deal well that's why i started getting into the bigger stuff because i was just like well i'm spending all this time to make 50 grand and if it goes wrong you make five if i go and do this bigger project and let's say there's a three or four hundred grand margin well let, let's say the market drops by 20 percent like it did yeah so my understanding of property trading if you're going to get into it in a big way and you can't find capital partners yet is you've got to do enough deals you're building up your your equity stack that you can do those bigger deals and so it's chicken and egg situation you, you need your 500k to a million bucks of cash to be able to do those big renovations those big property trades with enough equity that you can finance the rest and then by the time you get to that that's probably when you can get the capital partners in the JV partners in anyway and so sometimes you just the only way to get around having success in property trading is to do the deals that you end up making the 20 30 grand on right you have to start somewhere yeah and so there's I you know I caught up with a young guy the other day and you know he's just trying to figure it out like he's got zero money he's out there putting he's got nothing like this guy's got nothing which is cool I was you know because and you know he's out there just doing it you know trying to get stuff under contract and then you know and sell them to people but sale, yeah. I, I said to him I said look mate those margins he showed me some of these deals he'd under contract said, mate, yeah. th there's no there's not enough margin in that man like you're thinking because of your scarcity mentality you're thinking that you know hundred thousand dollars under value is a good deal I mean that ain't a good that's not a good deal because that house probably needs $120,000 of renovation costs so where's the upside yep and anyone that's going to be looking at it seriously is going to be considering the tax and the time and all those things so getting a property under contract for 100 grand less is actually not that hard no. and it's great if you're getting started and if you're looking to invest for yourself but it's not good enough to pass on to the professionals so I looked at a deal this morning with a friend of mine you know got it under contract for like 1.9 million you know really awesome 
awesome location, you know, convert it to a, like a you know boarding house or rent by room type situation. Probably rent each room out for like 280 bucks a week. There's there's about 12 rooms here this, in this big house, and um, you know, you bought it for 1.9. You probably spend two or three hundred on the reno, getting it up to speed, and you know that thing will probably value at 3.8. Yeah, it's a good deal. You know, that's the type of stuff that I want to do. Yeah, you know, and it was a, that's a marriage split up. Just people wanting to get out. They've owned it for a long period of time. They've had huge capital uplift. That's the other thing. People go, oh, you're you know you're you're ripping people off. Well, the, it's on the market. I'm guessing it's on the market. They, they want to sell it, and let's say they bought that house for two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand five years back ago, in yeah. nineteen eighty one, and they bought thirty of them because that's what people did. You know, I've bought people's whole portfolio. I bought sixteen houses of one guy, and I got chatting to him over the over the fence. Did you do long settlement on that? And uh, I staggered it. Take early. So I staggered the settlements. I think I did like four at a time or whatever. And, and that's how I did it. I just systematically did that and went through. And so there's people like that. And he bought those houses for like 60 grand. Yeah. And actually, he probably knew he could get a better overall going selling them singularly. But he was probably excited to watch you profit. And he owned a lot of houses. Like he owned Central Located. And these were all of his South Auckland ones. And I just, he was happy, man. And he, was, he knew that we we're going to make a profit. But look, at that point in time, at that, at that phase in the market, we were probably making about 50 grand a house. So it wasn't, and but we were doing all the work. They were all run down. They'd been tenanted for a long period of time. And not only were you doing all the work, you knew what work needed to be done so you could do it faster and like just, you knew what to do. Yeah, I forget about all these stories. See, this, I, like, all these things that I've done, you know, you've gone and buying, you know, multiple times gone and bought four or five houses from one guy. You forget about all these, you just, when you start talking, you start thinking about all this stuff. It's like, there's plenty of people out there that, you know, people that are in their 70s or you they, know, they 80s don't, they don't that have owned houses since the 1970s and they've got this huge capital appreciation and, you know, they're completely run down. They don't want to deal with it anymore. Um, and they're happy to, to go and sell them down to someone well, like me. It's perfect example a deal that I was trying to do last year buying a business I met the guy he said thanks but no thanks and then a year later he called me said I'm ready to sell this business to you I want you to buy it because he was sick 76 the only thing that happened is I basically got the business under contract and then he died so he what he was trying to do is he was trying to pass the business on so his family didn't have to do deal with it but now it's probably a couple weeks too late he came to this realization that it's better for me to sort this out now, even if I don't maximize the price. And it's the same with property. You know, people, they know that property, not only is that a way to make money, but it is also a time commitment to own property. Oh, it's a hell of a commitment, man. Especially when the, when there's floods. Yeah. Eventually people want to get rid of the time commitment, right? And they, yeah. they sometimes they want to pick who they sell it to, even if it's not the best price. 100%, man. It's just, it's like anything. It's, it's just a business. It's just like anything. It's like, there's always a willing buyer. There's always a willing seller. There's always, and look, there's always going to be people out there in the market that you know you, you, you see people put posts up you know I've seen you guys you know you guys put a video up on social media about property or something and there's always you're always going to get negative commentary it's like the, you, and you, there's going to be positive commentary we all think differently yeah it's not right or wrong well, the thing is the people that often negatively comment they are the people that really want to help society community other and actually what people that want to help forget is pragmatically speaking money is the way to help 
when you have strong income and lots of money, that is the way that you can move the needle. Now, I saw recently, um, you got to commend David Latelli what he's doing with the uh, Butterbean motivation stuff. And he's got a whole like fleet of volunteers and people working with him. What you're seeing at the moment is companies that traditionally a lot of people don't like. Those companies make heaps of money and they're giving it to the Butterbean motivation. Now, a perfect example is um, I saw a big crypto company just gave them 260 grand. And I saw, uh, I think it was Sky City just donated $50,000. Now, these are companies that you know what they're up to might be questioned by a lot of people, but money talks. And so if you focus on making money, you actually can help a lot more people. Oh, you can't make it help bugger all people when you've got no money. I mean, I've lived on the poverty line and had no money and that sucked. I mean, it's not like I'm a serious hitter by any stretch of the image. I'm just a normal Kiwi guy, but I'd rather live above the bread line than below it. So your advice has kind of evolved over the years that getting into property trading, you're not sure you'd do it again. But if you're going to focus on being a you know, property investor, that it's going to create wealth for you, you reckon start a business or get yourself into a high income position at a top level that sounds easy right it's easy to say that now knowing what i know but then you know when you're a young guy and you're you know you're working as a builder for example you know i caught, caught up the guy you say he's a builder hard working guy you know 30 something years old you know just living week to week doesn't own a house doesn't and you know smart dude I'd so what how do you reckon this guy is with a spreadsheet I just, he just got no financial acumen. How were you with numbers and spreadsheets when you first got started? Oh, I was terrible, man. I left school when I was 16 years old. I killed more brain cells than I grew, you know, over the years with all the habits and all the different things I've done. So, I mean, I'm not a highly, like my admin won't even let me full out. My admin team, Roxy, she won't even let me full out um, my spreadsheets because I screw it up. So I, what all I do, mate, I don't even need to know that. I just type it out in a text message and send it to her and she puts it in a spreadsheet. And there's no reason to believe why you can't find somebody to help you out if you for example this builder what does he know i'm guessing he knows about costs and time frames for renovations and he knows potentially and if he doesn't already he could easily learn how to get a property under contract but what he doesn't know is how to run the costs on a spreadsheet to show profit or loss well he doesn't believe that he can do that i asked him what his income was between him and his partner and he could buy a house right now. Doesn't know. Doesn't have the doesn't have the knowledge. And so that's why you've got to ask people that have been there before. It's so simple for someone like me. So find a mentor. Find someone that even if it's online. Yeah. And to help bridge the skills that you don't have with help from someone else or just learn. Well, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. Well, you've never been a builder. No, I'm not a builder. I'm nothing. I'm a nobody, really. But you don't mind picking up the tools, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, I've tried to, but I mean, most people just if someone seen what I built, they'd probably want to pull it straight down. I mean, yeah. it's Actually, I'm not a builder. I've got a tactic to pick up a tool, show people that I don't know how to use it, and then people won't let me do it. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I sort of do that with breaking coffee. Yeah. I was joking around with my wife, Emma, this morning. I just pretend that I don't know how to make coffee because then she has to make it for me every morning. Smart, man. Because I don't want to be a barista, so why would I spend a lot of time learning how to make the perfect coffee? I'd rather have someone else do it. I'm glad you asked for long black and not anything else because <laughs> yeah. even though we're just pushing buttons here, I purposely don't learn how to do those types of things because I want to keep focused on what I do want to learn. Well, that's like you just stick to what you're good at. I'm good at talking and going out there and, and wheeling and dealing, doing the things I need to do. So you focus on your strengths. Other people have strengths that are far greater than mine, like my business partner, Stacey, in our property consulting and construction business. He's a, he's a construction expert. 
expert. You know, I'm not the construction expert. I'm more of the entrepreneurial, put the deals together, understand the numbers, that side of things. But he's the expert when it comes to rectifying. So you you, you partner and you, you work with people that are better than you in certain areas. And so you use other people's strengths. I've got certain strengths. He's got strengths. You've got strengths. So you work to what you're good at. Oh, partners in a deal is something to be celebrated, I think, as long as you're not working with a partner that's just got all the same skills that you do, that's fine. But it makes sense to have partners that have skills that complement your skills. They're not the same. 